You are listening to the Fantasy Joes Podcast, your weekly dose of fun and unique fantasy football talk with a focus on Dynasty. And now, here are your hosts, Trey Barrett, Will Greenwood, and Ryan Livergood. That's right. We are the Fantasy Joes. You only got one Joe in the house tonight, at Rotor Librarian, Ryan Livergood. But don't worry, it's not going to just be me. I've got a great guest. It's the one and only Scott Connor at Charles Chill FFB host of Dynasty and Chill. And Dynasty and Chill, you, Scott, you started this, I think, was it over the summer? You haven't, it hasn't been out very long, but it has become one of my favorite podcasts because, Scott, you, you just, like, I, I love the way you approach Dynasty, the way you think about it. You're also part of the Dynasty Command Center, that brain trust, a great Dynasty Minds in, in the Dynasty industry. So I'm really excited to have you join me this evening. It's going to be a fun show. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I, yeah, I started the show over the summer and, Honestly, whenever you start a podcast, it's basically just, I started by just putting my thoughts out there and just saying, I'm going to record what I'm thinking and actually put it down there and see if other people find it actionable and ended up just taking it basically wherever I want every week, whatever I think is interesting, whatever I'm seeing out there. It it helps that uh, most people that know me know I play in a lot of leagues. Uh, I play in almost 50 dynasty leagues. So I kind of have my pulse on uh, where things are currently. You might hear, you know, on a show, hey, is, what's a player worth or would you trade this player for this player? But I'll sit there and think, you know, yeah, I've been trying to go after that player for a couple of weeks. And, you know, that, that's not really how it's going down. People see it a lot differently than what you may hear on a show or what you may see in like an ADP ranking. So I try to stay on top of that. And that is one of the things I think I bring to the table is uh, current, uh, current perspective on what the Dynasty community is thinking in terms of players. Because it moves quickly. I mean, we probably will get into it, how quickly things have moved only six weeks into this season. I mean, we've seen things move super quick from the summer. I mean, player values have popped all over the place. So that's what I think is the most fascinating going on right now. And uh, yeah, glad to be joining you on the show. It should be fun. Yeah, I'm so excited for this conversation with you tonight, Scott. And this is kind of my first question. This year, we've talked about this probably the past four or five, six episodes, ever since the season started, really, since week one. This seems like an odd year. Is it really that odd of a year, or are we just misremembering past years? Do you think this has been an odd 2019 season? You know, in a second, uh, we can talk about, like, where first-round startup Dynasty picks are, you know, how they're kind of performing this year, because I think it's kind of interesting. But um, what's what's your general thought about this season so far? Well, I think the first thing that stands out is I've been looking at some of the data with, this is just one of my main, I think, takeaways that's kind of blew me away in, in terms of how things have gone for the first six weeks. And, you know, one of the things that really sticks out to me is that I, I did some work on wide receivers for this year thus far. And I just tried to track, you know, where are wide receiver performances coming from uh, related to ADP? And because before the season, you know, you had a pretty clear top, I would say, six in terms of redraft leagues, but also kind of the same for dynasty leagues. You had a pretty clear tier of receivers that were considered to be the uber elite players. And, you know, if you ask what it would take to acquire those wide receivers specifically, you know, you're talking at least three first round picks or more. Uh, really, just speaking of random picks in the future, you know, it's going to take something in that range at least to acquire one of these players. And, you know, not even to speak specifically to those values, but even the ones that are below that tier, you know, we've seen 
the wide receiver performances be all over the place this year. And uh, the numbers that I, that I have are, are shocking. I mean, if you just look at just tracking most typical leagues, you would say probably start two receivers and maybe one flex. That's kind of the minimum of you might start three receivers in a typical PPR league. Wouldn't you say that's probably true? Like the minimum you maybe yeah. could start would be three receivers. Absolutely. Yeah. So I looked at basically the top 36 performances. That's what I have through week six thus far. And uh, of the, the top 36 in each of the first six weeks, uh, that would be a total of you're looking at 216 performances or 216 uh, top 36 performances if everybody's following. Yeah. Uh, that's been done by 92 different receivers. <laughs> that's crazy. So just, so just think about that. And, you know, right. you go through the names of some of the players that have had at least one top 36 season or top 36 weeks. So essentially they've been at least a wide receiver three or better. Uh, now what I don't have is obviously a lot of those players were a not on rosters, B certainly not in starting lineups, but you know, if you just look at where those performances are coming from, I mean, a lot of them are coming outside of even like the top hundred at the position. Uh, so you're getting players that were on every single waiver wire. I don't care if you're in leagues that are 30 or more players. I mean, these guys were not owned uh, until they either signed with a team or they got elevated on a depth chart, but they're coming out and they're able to perform, you know, top 36 weeks and you're getting them for free. So what I've seen in some of my high stakes redraft leagues, you know, the teams that went zero RB, the teams that went super, super heavy on receivers early, if you didn't hit on the right ones, uh, you know, if you drafted Stefan Diggs or if you drafted Mike Evans, you know, if those were two of the four that you took and you're building your team around them and you're, you're trying to find running back production later in the draft, those teams are really, really struggling. And, you know, the teams that maybe drafted running backs early. Now, of course, if you hit on the right running backs, that's going to be good regardless. But, you know, if you drafted Christian McCaffrey, as long as you started probably two of those three or four receivers that had the wide receiver three or better weeks, you know, your team's probably four and two or better. And so that's just kind of blown me away of where these receivers are coming from. And now you have multiple guys uh, that have stepped up and done it multiple times. And some of those players are coming from nowhere. So that's, that's kind of the thing that's blown me away. And that it's, it's contributed to the, the shifts in wide receiver values. I mean, you're seeing guys like Terry McLaurin that were going mid third round in super flex drafts. All of a sudden they're worth at least a first round pick. That's what it would take to acquire them. Uh, same with someone like DJ Chark. I mean, you're seeing those guys go from players that, that were throw-ins or players that were maybe, maybe a, a convicted owner would have to pay a second rounder for him before the season. And all of a sudden, you know, they're now considered probably top 30, top 36 uh, startup receivers if you ranked them right now. So that, that's kind of what I've seen is we've seen wide receiver value go all over the place. And I think it's thrown people for a loop because typically we're thinking if I draft the running backs, that's what's going to give me the immediate production. And it hasn't been the case thus far this year. Yeah, no, it, it's been wild. And, and I want to talk about those guys. Actually, you know, actually we can jump into it, Scott, because I, I was, I was, so I, I put uh, down or I took a screenshot and, and like kind of your stock PPR leagues, the top 15 wide receivers to this point. And if you look at it, as you pointed out, you 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 uh, called it, called those guys out. DJ Chark is on the list number five. Um, you can go back to number one, Chris Godwin. I mean, he's the number one wide receiver in PPR leagues right now. Which I know some people are high on Godwin. I don't think anyone had him as number one overall for six weeks. Uh, Cooper Cup, number three. Cortland Sutton, number twelve. Terry McLaurin, fourteen. As as you discussed, so those those names are real surprises to me. So 
what are you doing with that information? Are you still trying to figure that out? Because then uh, on the flip side of it, if you look at some guys that went in first round, um, the first round of, of startups, um, th- they have been underwhelming. Uh, Odell Beckham, wide receiver 23. Uh, Juju, wide receiver 30. Of course, Big Ben is gone. That has a lot to do with that. Um, you know, Devonte Adams was starting to get hot and then he got hurt. And some of that has to do with injuries, I know. So I guess that's why like we're kind of all not sure what to do right now with values, right? If we did a startup dynasty draft, started it tomorrow, I, I have no idea where the wide receivers would go because it's, it just, it's a weird landscape. So what do we do with that? Do, do we still believe in these alpha wide receivers? Do we still think we should go after these elite guys that are having bad seasons? Isn't Juju still a first round startup dynasty wide receiver or no? I mean, what, so what do we do with this information? What, what are you doing? Well, so I think the first question you have to ask is you have to look at your, your league specifically. And I know that's kind of the stock answer that you're going to get when, you know, someone asks you a question. I always ask, you know, I need to know about your league because, you know, if you think about what, what are you paying for when you're going to acquire someone like, let's just say, let's just say Keenan Allen, for example, you know, Keenan Allen started out the season pretty hot, but essentially, you know, if you're going to buy someone like Keenan Allen, you're not necessarily paying for a ceiling of points that are higher than what you could get from other players that may not have as much value, at least coming into the season. What you're paying for most likely is you're paying for some level of consistency and some level of security, knowing that I have X amount of spots that I have to fill every week. And you know, if this is a league where you only start two receivers and you only have a couple flex spots, you're pretty shallow in terms of how many players you're going to be wanting to acquire to fill into those spots. So you're going to be more willing to pay for the guys that you know are consistent. You know, they may not necessarily have a massive ceiling, uh, but you know, you can comfortably play them every week and you're not truly getting, you know, a boom or bust player. So I think that's the first thing you have to think about. You know, you've gotten that from say someone like Amari Cooper this year, you know, Amari Cooper has basically played five full games and he's given you a wide receiver three or better performance in each one of those weeks. Now, a couple of them, wide receiver one weeks. Uh, but he also had a wide receiver two week in there and also a couple wide receiver three weeks. So basically, if you paid for Amari Cooper, you weren't necessarily getting a massive ceiling of points. You know, he may have a couple weeks that are certainly big spike weeks. But probably what you're getting is you know every week you can count on him hitting his average or hitting a little bit above his average for the season Uh, in most of those weeks. So you're paying for that. And so that's the first question that I have to look at. What am I doing with this information? You know, I was saying this over the summer because I kind of saw this a little bit um, over the summer when looking at some of my deeper leagues. I constantly had the the want to take the receivers that I felt were overvalued. Uh, Chris Godwin was one of them. He thought, I thought he was a player that uh, his market value was too much built into his potential and it was too high. Uh, So if I'm in a league that you know, let's say you do start three receivers and you can play three additional flexes. You know, I can start six receivers every single week. And so I'm constantly looking for where can I take value with uh, maybe a guy like Amari Cooper and I trade down and get, you know, a Chris Godwin and another receiver that I could also fill in and give me a couple of those spike weeks. Now, maybe less consistent, uh, but I also can, can see where, you know, if I have a player that I know, Deshaun Jackson's always the best example, but not necessarily for Dynasty, but a player like that, you know, those type of deeper leagues, I'm looking to basically just color down when I feel that there's a receiver that has way too much value, like Chris Godwin right now. Sure, you know, give me a 2021st and, 
you know, Mike Williams and maybe something else on top of it. You know, that's where the market is for Chris Godwin. And I figure I'll, I'll hedge my bets that I have another receiver that I can fill in there and the threshold of the starting lineups that I have to fill out every week, uh, it's lower because I'm starting more players, if that makes sense. So I think that's the important thing. If you're in a super shallow league, I want the studs. You know, I want the guys I know that are not only good, but I can predict from week to week. But if I'm in a deeper league, right now there are so many good receivers. The NFL is using more receivers. They're spreading out the targets a lot more from the top tier receivers down uh, throughout the offense. Uh, you have a lot more teams that are using three receiver sets. I mean, obviously the Cardinals are using a four receiver set a lot of the time. Uh, so they're spreading out the targets at their wide receiver two level and, and lower. Uh, the predictability is almost shot. I mean, the numbers, if you just look at a dynasty ADP standpoint, um, you know, a wide receiver two and a wide receiver three are basically the exact same thing. So if I can get some value moving from, you know, wide receiver 15 to wide receiver 30, I'm going to take that all day because essentially week to week, they're interchangeable. Yeah, I, I like that. And it's so true. And, and we harp on it time and time again. But I think there's still so many dynasty owners out there that they don't pay attention to settings and how many yes. wide receivers are going to start and how many you can put in the flex. Do you have to start only one running back or can you, you know, do you have to start two, three, four? I mean, it, it, it's that is so, so important. And it really gives you an edge, especially in a startup draft. If, if you go through and you look at the scoring between different positions and see, oh, wide receivers have an edge in scoring because of this or that. And I think there are a lot of people that don't do that. So that's, that's very, very important. It really does depend on the league. And you're right. You can't give one-size-fits-all advice because what's no. true in, in a shallow league is not true in a deeper league. So I love that. And your podcast, that wide receiver episode is, if you haven't heard it, listeners, you need to go and, and check it out because it's really fascinating. You really get it more into the details with wide receivers. But I want to get away from that for a second, Scott. And I want to talk about, uh, before we started recording, we started talking about 2020 draft picks. In the last couple of episodes that Will and I have done, Will has said, okay, would you do, you know, would, would, would you take, you know, would you, would you acquire this guy? Would you send me your 2021st for this guy? Or would you send me your 2022nd for that guy? And almost every time I say to Will, it's like, I can't do that because I really value these 2020 picks. I mean, they're just so valuable right now to me. And I look at that 2020 draft class and people that I highly respect, it, 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 you know, the Debbie community, you know, keep talking about how great these, these guys are going to be when they come out. So what are you seeing out there in the marketplace with 2020 draft picks? And what is your approach? If you're a serious contender, let's say, are, are you going to be aggressive with sending out trade offers because those 2020 picks are valuable to other owners to get, get a piece that will help you win? Or are you thinking more long-term with your teams? Like, I don't want to give that up just for a, a win-now guy. Yeah, so it's a, it's a crazy time because I've, I've been playing Dynasty about five years, pretty hardcore, and I have never seen it to this point this early in the season. I mean, every year, you know that the rookie picks, after the season ends, you know, once the fantasy season ends, uh, things start to shift towards the rookies. And, you know, the picks only get more valuable as you get closer to the draft because you have the combine hype, you have all of the stuff that gets put out on the rookies because that's all you can focus on. And by the time you get to the draft, you know, the worst time to acquire a draft pick is right before your draft starts or right before the pick comes on the clock. I mean, it's sky high to try to acquire a pick when it's on the clock. Right. Sometimes, you know, it can bottom out if it hits a, you know, like a tear break and there's nobody obvious to pick. Uh, that's the risk that you take if you don't trade it before then. But usually you know, trying to get the pick when it's on the clock, especially if it's an obvious, you know, everyone sees this player as, you know, the best player on the board. It's hard to acquire it then. I have never seen it like this, this far out. So, you know, kind of what I've been doing 
And this started earlier in the spring because I think everybody kind of foresaw this happening with the 2020 class. But what I've been trying to do is basically accumulate as many just draft capital in 2020 as I can. And then, you know, a lot of my teams are built on, they're built on just building a strong roster and then kind of hoping I can put together the right lineups every single week. And, you know, you find yourself in contention in most of your leagues around this time and you have to make the decision, am I going to go for it or am I, am I not? And I've, I've tried to essentially acquire as many picks throughout the summer as I could, you know, trading fringe players where, you know, maybe this guy had some hype and you can get a second rounder for him. Okay. I know he might hurt me in the short term, uh, but I want to take that pick because I think later on in this season, there's going to be some teams and I've already seen it. I want to ask your opinion. If you've seen this in some of your leagues, a lot of leagues, you know, the top two or three teams that are out of it. I mean, they're done. They're, they've basically packed it in and there is no, you know, they're not trading their picks. They've already committed. If they're one in five or oh and six, they're not moving those picks. I mean, they're, they're not even in the negotiation in terms of trading their picks. You know, they may be looking for picks, but they're almost out of it in terms of, you know, I haven't seen the, oh, well, this team's two and four and they're in 10th place, you know, but they're going to just sell everything to try to win this week and maybe try to get to three and four and hope they can push for the championship. I haven't seen that. Um, so I think that, you know, the first thing is if you're going to go for it, I, I would kind of just wait it out and see because those picks are only going to become more valuable in a couple weeks. Um, you know, there's some teams that are probably starting to sell right now, but I think there's going to be teams that are going to be desperate to sell for picks here in a couple weeks as, you know, more injuries happen and maybe they start really looking at their roster because you've probably seen it where you have a team that falls out of it you're looking at that team every day going, well, what can I shed? You know, how can I maximize my value so that next year I can kind of hit the reboot button? So I built my teams to where I have a bunch of extra seconds and thirds and maybe even a couple extra firsts hanging around. And I really have to decide, hey, you know, I have the leverage as the team that has all the picks. I'm going to be the preferable team that these teams want to trade with, um, you know, because they feel a lot more secure with getting picks this year than they would necessarily getting players. So I think that's the first thing is if you have the picks, you're going to be able to buy better talent in three or four weeks uh, than you can right now uh, because I think you're going to start seeing some teams more desperate, especially with guys that are, you know, running backs, especially, you know, some of these running backs that you know you can't trust going forward but are productive right now. Uh, I can see those being ones that uh, you can acquire uh, cheaper in the next month or so. And that's what I'm doing. I'm waiting. You know, I'm not going to go buy a uh, Tevin Coleman right now because if he gets hurt tomorrow and I blew my first round pick to get him, you know, I did it. If I can survive until another month, you know, that's kind of the approach that I'm taking if I'm a, if I'm a buyer. So hopefully that answers your question. I can talk a little bit more from a seller perspective because uh, I think it's totally different. But did you have any thoughts on that or anything you wanted to add? No, I think you're right. I, I think if you are in the market to acquire 2020 draft picks, good luck. And it's only going to get worse. And I think you're right. It does make sense to, to wait because I, I, I think we're, you know, if you, I, I, especially for running backs, it seems to me that we haven't seen the level of injuries that we usually do in the running back position. Right. Obviously, you know, there's been like Saquon Barkley, a major injury. Uh, it looks like Alvin Kamara has got some issues, maybe that'll linger for maybe a couple of weeks, but otherwise off the top of my head, I, I can't think of any, you know, real valuable dynasty running back that is, has suffered injuries. Obviously Saquon was huge, but, and, but we know that's going to happen because historically it always does. There are going to be some guys that are going to miss time and that market will heat up. So I, I completely agree with that, but let's talk about the, the flip side of it then. Um, if, if you are a seller, 
So yeah, if I'm a seller, obviously running backs, I don't think this is comp. This is not specific to me. I think that I've really tried to narrow down and look at where I think the future of running backs are going. Um, obviously right now you can uh, probably count on two hands, the running backs that I feel absolutely secure uh, with their roles next year. Now, I think that we may be selling some of these guys short. You know, I always mention, you know, the names that always come up are the Marlon Max and Aaron Jones. Cause we know those guys are talented and we know they're on teams that you would want to have the lead running back on, even if it's somewhat of a committee, you know, you still want to have the starting running back in those situations. And I think both of those guys have proven this year that they, they are not just going to be phased out of the NFL, you know, just because the team, maybe drafts another running back. Those guys aren't going to disappear. You know, they're not going to get cut. They're not going to get full out replaced to where they just don't get any carries or any touches next year. Um, but I think it's fair to say that most running backs that you can name, unless they're insulated, unless they're guys on a rookie contract that are on the upward for dynasty value, I think we're going to see those players. They're automatically going to drop in value in the next three months. So February of 2020. Uh, Aaron Jones is going to have less value then than he is right now, regardless of how he performs this year. He can put down a top 10 running back season, but there's going to be part of your community and there's going to be part of the owners in your league that are going to be saying, well, you know, whatever the reason is, uh, he, he didn't have a full workload this year or, you know, he was constantly banged up. There's always going to be someone saying well, they're going to dra- they're going to draft another running back in this draft. And so it's just inherently going to push the value of all the running backs, most of the running backs down next year which is why, you know, if you're selling, you really have to, you really have to think about who, who do you really want to build around? And I'm taking the approach, if I'm sitting on any of those guys, I mean, you can name the running back and I'll probably say I would sell them because I think they're going to be less valuable here in about four or five months uh, than they are right now. So unless they're on a rookie contract, unless they're players that their bottoms, have, their values have just bottomed out, you know, I'm, I'm willing to sell them now because I think I can probably replace them, whether it's a different player or, you know, heck, if I can sell Aaron Jones for a 2020 first, that's 1.10, I can probably buy him back at, on draft day for that exact same pick if I really, really wanted to. And what you do is basically you buy yourself free information. You know, I don't have to worry about the volatility of Aaron Jones. I have the draft pick. That's not going anywhere. Uh, and if I want to choose to try to buy him back next April, then perfect. You know, I have the draft pick right there that I can offer for it. Maybe I have to pay a little bit more because his value has gone up for some reason, but I'm basically uh, doing an even swap and I'm paying for a very, very less volatile asset. Yeah, no, I, I pulled up the DLF rankings of running backs just to, just to look at this and just, uh, you know, just kind of off the top of my head. Sure. See, to kind of validate what you're saying. And I think you're right because once you get out of the, maybe the top five, six, maybe seven guys, I think there are question marks. Uh, Joe Mixon, for example. I mean, I think Joe Mixon is super talented, but I don't know. I mean, don't you think if, if he was really this, uh, you know, the, this Uber elite talent, he would have, he would be producing even, even though his, I know if his offensive line is in shambles, I get that. But um, you know, Melvin Gordon, certainly questions about Melvin Gordon, uh, David Johnson, he's getting on the, you know, closer to 30. He's, he's almost 28 years old. Uh, Todd Gurley, there's questions. Carryon Johnson, you know, he's not catching the ball as well as we had hoped. I, I like Carryon a lot, but I still have question marks about him. Le'Veon Bell, once again, age. I mean, uh, you know, you can go on and on. So once you get out of that five, six, seven guys, you're right. A lot of question marks. So, yeah, th- you make a great point. 
you make a great point. So, uh, so are there any guys that are deeper on the list you feel good about? Any running backs that are that are deeper that that you feel are worth investing in? Well, I think if you're going deeper, obviously they're valued where they are for a reason. So if you're going down the ADP list and you're getting outside of the top 15 or so, uh, you really have to look at the situation. So I would look at first, you know, what is their status on their team? Are they going to be a second year running back next year? You know, if I'm looking at somebody, let's just use, I'll throw out an example. Let's just use somebody like Daryl Henderson. And we don't really know how the rest of the season is going to play out for Daryl Henderson. Right. But he would be a player that if I'm trying to trade away a, you know, obviously you'd want to get more than him if you're trading away a running back two in dynasty, you know, but let's say I'm trade, I want to trade Marlon Mack for some reason. And, you know, I'd be looking at probably wanting to acquire the best draft pick that, that I can get. But, you know, if I'm going to acquire a running back, because what I kind of like to do is if I have a winning team, or let's say I have a team that is kind of on the fringe, you know, say I'm four and two or I'm three and three, and I'm not really sure if I'm going to be able to win the championship or not. Mm -hmm. But I also don't want to be stuck with a a roster full of these type of running backs. You know, I don't want to go into the off season uh, still sitting on Devontae Freeman and Leonard Fournette and Aaron Jones and Tevin Coleman, because I could have a massive value loss on those players next year. And, but at the same time, you know, I don't want to trade them all away because they're, they're helping me stay in contention. And, you know, if you can get to the playoffs, one or two weeks and you can win the championship even with an inferior team so you know you have to really wrestle with what do I want to take back and so the move that I like to make is you know I like to grab somebody specific that I'm targeting that's maybe lower down in the ADP but I feel they're a little bit insulated in terms of their value you know they're not a pending free agent or they're not somebody with a significant injury history so I brought up Daryl Henderson because you know, if you can get him as a throw into a deal, like let's say you want to trade Leonard Fournette right now because you have a fringe contender. If you can get a mid 2021st and get someone like Daryl Henderson thrown into the deal, what if luck swings your way? He ends up becoming a usable running back the, next, the rest of the season. You may be able to still contend and you have that extra pick in your, you know, in your asset chest that you can use. You may actually win that deal, uh, but that's because his trajectory is pointing up and I think you could even say that going into the offseason you know he he wouldn't be the one that gets phased out by the Rams um you know if they end up bringing in another running back that probably speaks a lot more about Todd Gurley and about Malcolm Brown than necessarily Daryl Henderson so you know if I'm looking to make that kind of move where you know I like to always get a player back because why not you know if someone's willing to give you the draft pick and they're willing to give you a player as a throw-in target a guy that's on a rookie contract or target a guy that may be blocked on the depth chart and you may actually end up getting a little bit of extra value so that's kind of how I would approach it but you know other than that you know I'm looking at players you know someone like carry on Johnson or Josh Jacobs you know I think those guys are pretty stable going into next year Uh, they may bring in another back in their backfield but I don't think it necessarily would be to take their job Uh, and, and so I can see them being someone that uh, if you want to pivot off of a elite running back for some reason, that's the kind of player that I'm looking to acquire back. Not somebody that I can see uh, having a massive drop off in value like we talked about earlier, like Marlon Mack, Aaron Jones, Devontae Freeman, et cetera. You know, Scott, I think a kind of a maybe, maybe not so polarizing, but a polarizing guy, I think, going into the season was Dalvin Cook. And Dalvin mm-hmm. Cook clearly is putting up monster numbers. He is, you know, on several contending teams, <laughs> league leading teams, that type of yeah. thing. But with Dalvin Cook, we know about his injury history. 
he's almost 25 years old. So still, you know, in his prime, but I, I think my personally, my opinion is once those running backs get into, you know, 26, 27, 28, that's, you know, big red flag. Uh, we know that younger running backs are the way to go. So what are you doing with Dalvin cook in, in general? I mean, obviously if you're a contender, you have Dalvin cook, he's t- tough to get a guy to get rid of, but is he one of those guys that, okay, if I can take Dalvin cook and, and, and trade to get a, a carry on Johnson and, um, you know, another piece, that's something you, you would do. Or, or do you think Dalvin Cook is one of those guys, despite the fact that he has this injury history, you just have to hold on to him? Because he's really interesting to me because he was kind of a guy, I, I don't have him very many places, but I was trying to sell and now it's in season. And I, I just, I don't know. It's, it's it, For me also too, there's this emotional aspect. For me, it's, it's hard to trade guys that are really hot. Even though if you know, like the Chris Godwin, maybe this is the peak of his value it's hard for you, hard to get rid of those guys. Right. Cause they're winning you your league. <laughs> so yeah. what, what do you, what did, let, but let's focus on Dalvin cook first. What do you, what are you doing with Dalvin cook? So I think there's a couple of things to, to break down with Dalvin cook. Like you said, if you have Dalvin cook, I, I believe I have him on two dynasty teams and both those teams are absolutely crushing it in points. So, you know, probably if you have him, you're, you're near the top of the standings. So that kind of makes you have to really wonder it is difficult to trade a player that's essentially your lead back, but also acknowledging that, you know, someone like Dalvin Cook's value could drop out at any point. You know, you hate to talk about injuries, but he has an injury history. And, you know, the way that he's being talked about, you know, I've, I've seen or heard numerous podcasts that, you know, they're talking about, okay, has Dalvin Cook reached, you know, up into the Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara range in terms of running backs? And I think it would be fair to say that he has, but, you know, what's the, like you said, what's the move if you're holding him and you're, you're trying to sell him at his absolute peak? And, you know, I guess the ideal, the ideal trade that you would make for someone like Dalvin Cook would be like what you talked about. You know, can I get a, uh, a 2020 first that I think is going to be top five or top six and get someone like on Johnson or Josh Jacobs or someone like that on top of it? I think if you can make that deal, you know, because really like we talked about with the wide receivers, you know, what are the odds that, you know, Dalvin Cook absolutely smashes on Johnson or Josh Jacobs for the rest of the season? I mean, it's probably, I'd say two-thirds chance that he probably outscores them uh, and outperforms them the rest of the year. But it's not a 0% chance. You know, it's not a 0% chance that one of those guys can't stay pace with him for the rest of the year. So essentially, if that can happen and luck breaks your way, you know, you're looking at you now have an insulated running back for next year and you have the extra 2021st. And we can talk a little bit more about the value of 2021st. But, you know, another thing with Dalvin Cook is, uh, you know, he's not a first-round pick. So he's coming up to his fourth season and he'll be a free agent after his fourth season. So you have to wonder uh, with Dalvin cook and with Alvin Kamara specifically, are these guys going to hold out? I mean, you look at Alvin Kamara, he's set to make $900,000 next year. And you know, he's already banged up this year and it's not that he has this massive workload, but you could argue both Kamara and Dalvin cook have exceeded far exceeded what they're being paid. And I could not blame them if they just decided to hold out because you know, they're, the offense that they're in are clearly running that offense around both of them. And so that's another thing to think about. We didn't even get into holdouts, but, you know, I'm looking at some of these guys that are not first-round picks, so they don't have that fifth-year option by their teams. And, you know, if you look at what their salaries are, you know, someone like Kamara or, or Dalvin Cook, they're not, they're not making a lot of money. So are they candidates to hold out? And we saw what happened to Melvin Gordon's value when he held out. What happened to uh, Le'Veon Bell's value when he held out? You know, if the holdout lasts all year, you know, that's a value loss into myself. So I think there's a more risk with someone like Dalvin Cook. Yeah, exactly. And 
Alexander Madison is a fantasy Joe's favorite and he's looked very capable. So, but you know, I, I don't want anyone to get, get injured. So Dalvin Cook stays healthy this year, but holds out next year and Madison comes in and smashes early 2020. You're, you're right. You're going to see kind of what happened to Melvin Gordon with the Austin Eckler situation there. Yeah. Let's transition to quarterbacks. And you know, it's interesting when you look at the quarterback landscape as well. And, and I think most of us play in a lot of super flex leagues and going into this year, you know, the talk was kind of, Oh, you know, in a startup draft, you can wait to draft quarterbacks because there's so many quarterbacks there. I mean, we, there, there's just this wealth of, of quarterback talent in the league and it's not a position we really have to worry about so much. And then the season started and guys started going down. <laughs> <laughs> Big Ben and Drew Brees and Cam Newton, um, who am I missing? Probably a couple other guys. In any event, it's, yeah, I mean, this landscape has changed quite a bit already. And you have guys like Garner Minshew that are showing some things. I'm not sure if he's legit yet or not, but, you know, he he looks okay at, at times. You have guys coming out of the blue like uh, Kyle Allen, who has been proficient enough for Carolina. So it's cr- it's crazy, the quarterback situation. So, yeah, generally, what do you think about the quarterback situation? Do you think any of these guys that are, are playing, like Gardner Minshew, are for real, that they have some value? Do you think there are some – like in, in a Superflex league, do you want to go after those guys that clearly are the superior quarterbacks in the league and not worry about some of these middling guys? What, what, what are your thoughts, Scott? So coming into the season, you know, I was somebody that was saying that the quarterback landscape right now in Dynasty for Superflex leagues, I, I had never seen it stronger. You know, I'm looking at – uh, coming into the year, you had guys like Derek Carr, Marcus Mariota, Andy Dalton. You know, those guys were like, you know, quarterback 27, 28. I mean, they were pretty good value uh, for what they've performed in the past and where you were able to get them in terms of, you know, acquisition cost in, in dynasty leagues. And, you know, we've kind of seen that sh- shift a little bit to, you know, coming into the year, I was looking at it of, uh, from the standpoint of if I have one of those really, really elite quarterbacks. You know, if I have someone like Patrick Mahomes or if I have someone like, you know, Baker Mayfield coming into the season, you know, I was willing to move off of one of those players. And if I could get a haul back for one of those quarterbacks, you know, if that would include, you know, like a wide receiver one plus another mid-tier quarterback that I know I can start every single week. You know, I thought that that was a great opportunity to really build, you know, your roster up at other spots by just basically using a pivot down at the quarterback position. Uh, but we've seen something that's kind of been interesting because typically I build my teams by, you know, I'm hoarding quarterbacks. You know, I'm trying to get as many as I can because I figure I'm going to have trade ships during the season. And if you look back at the last five years, uh, it's funny because there's been at least 50 quarterbacks or more that have started a game in the last four seasons. So if you just think about that, and if you know that coming into the year, okay, what does that trigger in your head? You know, there's only 32 NFL teams. And if there's over 50 quarterbacks that are going to potentially start a game, that means there's a decent amount of players out there that, you know, these aren't necessarily just the rookies that are going to take over. You know, we're talking a dozen or so backups that are going to end up getting starts. And a lot of them end up starting for multiple weeks. And that, that's kind of what I've seen this year. It's killed. What it's really killed is it's killed the bottom tier uh, of the quarterback position. You know, teams that, you know, let's say you started a year and you were trying to contend this year and you had Ben Roethlisberger and Drew Brees. You know, you are crippled after the first couple weeks. You know, you're sitting there searching for answers, but instead of going out and overpaying for, you know, Marcus Mariota or Andy Dalton or someone like that and overpaying probably what it would cost because you don't have any leverage at that point. You know, you're basically looking at a team that has no other options. So unless you give up draft picks 
or unless you're willing to overpay, you're not going to be able to get a quarterback. And what I've seen is a lot of teams are just saying, nah, you know, I'll, I'll take my chances on Kyle Allen or I'll take my chances on Gardner Minshew. And another thing I've seen a lot of people starting to go in and be smart and they're rostering, you know, they were rostering Chase Daniel. They were rostering, you know, Matt Moore. They're rostering all these backups and they're saying, I know the injuries are going to happen and I don't want to get stuck. So I think it's really killed. You know, I, I, I want to get your thoughts on a couple players because I've seen someone like Mitchell Trubisky coming into the year. I thought he was a great value, uh, but his values completely gone in super flex leagues. I mean, you can't sell him for anything. It's to the <laughs> point where you might as well just hold on to him because right. you, you can't get anything. For, nobody, it's not even that he's not good or he doesn't have the capability of scoring points. Nobody wants him. And yeah. that's a lot of, that's a lot of quarterbacks out there right now. You know, people just don't want him. They would much rather just roll with a, a skill player in their super flex spot or, you know, figure, Hey, I'll just see who gets injured this week and I'll bid on the backup because you know, that's the other thing. If you have five quarterbacks in a league where you know nobody's buying quarterbacks. So that's going to be really interesting going into next year. You know, they don't really have a market out there. People just want the, uh, the elite, reliable ones, and they don't really want the mid-tier ones. That's what I've seen change since the beginning of the year. Yeah, I think you're, you're spot on. And uh, I have some leagues where I was worried about my quarterback situation in the Superflex League, but I've been riding guys like Kyle Allen and that have been getting me through. So yeah, you, you know, I, I, I think you're right because I think, I think it's always been a hard sell in a Superflex league if someone loses a quarterback and, you know, they get a trade offer. And it's like, I know you're in a tough spot, so I'll, I'll trade you Andy Dalton for him to be your QB too. And no one ever feels good about making that deal or giving up anything for an Andy Dalton, right? No one ever has felt good about that. But those guys have been valuable. You've been able to get returns. And I think you're right. I, I mean, I haven't really seen any deals like that go down for these, you know – you're right. These lower tier quarterbacks that have been, you know, reliable lower tier quarterbacks because people are able to work the waiver wire or they've, they've rostered the Mason Rudolphs of the world and they've got them through. I think you're, you're spot on. And, and that really is interesting. And that is a big change in the super flex landscape. And I hadn't really thought about it until you brought it up that, you know, before you'd see some deals, you know, you, you lose a couple starting quarterbacks and there'd be some movement in leagues. And, and yeah, I haven't seen that at all. You're absolutely right. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned Gardner Minshew, and I think that's, a, that's an interesting case because he's one of those guys that um, you know, his values kind of exploded to more than what it initially was just being the you know, replacement. Because you know, there was an inherent value that you're, you're going to get when you know that the starter is being placed on IR. So you know that that's not just a two-week fill-in. You know, you know that you basically can get yourself to the playoffs by bidding on this guy and winning him. So inherently, I think just, just because you knew he was going to start for most of the year, uh, he had some value at the beginning. But I, I've seen it explode to the point where, you know, people are giving up future first-round picks for Gardner Minshew thinking, you know, this is his job. And, you know, he's not going to give it up. Uh, which, I, if I own him, and I, I've, I've sold the shares that I've had already, uh, because, you know, you could have said the same thing about Nick Mullins last year. You know, Nick Mullins performed really good for San Francisco, but he's basically back to just a waiver-wire backup. And he, he, I don't think he is as good as Gardner Minshew is. Um, but I think the situation is similar. So you could end up getting a, a, a place where, you know, Nick Foles comes back and Gardner Minshew is just the backup. And he's a really good backup. You know, Nick Mullins was somebody that a lot of people probably rostered in Superflex leagues because they're thinking this is a good system for a quarterback. So if anyone is going to start, they're going to have value. So you'd want to have a guy like that on your team, you know, in lieu of like a, you know, third string running back or something like that. But what's their real value? No one's going to trade for them until they become that starter. 
partner. And once they do, they're probably worth more to you on your team than someone's willing to pay for him just because there's no market for those bottom tier quarterbacks. So that's kind of where I see Minshew. I think, um, you know, he's one of the players that I would sell if I had him uh, only because I'm, I'm willing to bet that, um, you know, they won't take that job away from Nick Foles just based on an injury. I don't think Minshew's performed well enough to this last game, I think hurt him a little bit. Um, I think it kind of exposed them a little bit from a, uh, from a passing standpoint. So I think that that's that the shine's kind of worn off him a little bit. Um, but like the other one I wanted to ask you about that keeps coming to mind is Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, has he done enough to, you know, end up being like the next Jacoby Brissett? You know, what if Drew Brees retires after this year? Do they just re-up Teddy Bridgewater for two years? And that would spike his value just like it did with Jacoby Brissett. Um, but that's another curious one. If you can read that situation, as soon as Drew Brees comes back, you can probably acquire Teddy Bridgewater for half of what you can, you can pay for him right now. Uh, but six months from now, you may end up having another Jacoby Brissett where his value doubles again because just the situation changes. So I think you can navigate some value at that lower level tier quarterbacks if you guess right. Yeah, I guess you're right with his value drops when Drew Brees comes back. Maybe he's a guy to acquire, but I'm not, I haven't been terribly impressed with Trudy Bridgewater. I know he had that big egg against Tampa, but I, you know, I, I mean, look at the opponent. It'll be interesting to see what happens when he comes to Chicago this weekend and, uh, and plays that Bears defense. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's like a wait and see approach. Obviously, now it would not be the time to acquire Teddy Bridgewater, but yeah, when Drew Brees comes back, he'd have some value. That's an interesting guy to monitor. I just yeah. I don't know if I buy into him long term, and I'm I'm with you with Gardner Minshew. You said you could get a like a first round pick, even if it's like a late, you know, 2021st with with that within the superflex league. I I love that. I love that move. Oh yeah, it's um, it's, it's just you're going to be able to get somebody uh, that has a, a brighter future than than Gardner Minshew, even if it's not a quarterback. Um, you know, give me one of those running backs, wide receivers that will be there at the end of the first round in the superflex league in 2020. I, I love that. Um, a couple of guys, a couple of quarterbacks since we're here. Then I do want to talk about tight ends because you, you had a tight end episode and you, you said some interesting things about a couple of guys, which I want to get to. I want to, I want to ask you about that because I think you did that show maybe three weeks ago or so, and I want to see if you feel the same way about those players. But, okay, let's talk about Baker Mayfield because I'm, I'm really curious, you know, what you're doing with Baker Mayfield. I mean, I guess obviously if you own Baker Mayfield. I, well, I shouldn't say obviously. I, I believe he's a hold. And, uh, you know, perhaps a guy to go out and acquire, although I think the Baker Mayfield owner probably is not going to panic yet and, and, and realizes that offensive line is atrocious. But even any thoughts beyond that on make Baker Mayfield? Is he pretty much a hold for you? Maybe a guy to go out and buy or, or do you feel otherwise about Baker? No, I think you're dead on. I think if you have Baker Mayfield, if, if you acquired him over the last six months before the season started, you probably paid a, a lot to get him. And so this wouldn't be the time just from a general perspective of, you know, how do you, how do you manage your team? You know, you're not going to sell a player like that unless you just think something's happened where he can't recover from it. Um, but I don't think that's the case with Mayfield. I think he's still young enough. And, you know, I actually think that if you just look at his schedule coming up the second half of the season, now I can see him having a lot of positive regression the second half of the season. So I don't think he's ever going to reach, the level that you paid for. I, mean, I think he was up to like quarterback two before the season started. I mean, that's how high his value got. Mm -hmm. And I don't think he's ever going to deliver that uh, in terms of, you know, the numbers that he puts on the field. But, you know, you have to understand that his price at quarterback two was not because he's going to finish as the quarterback two. It's because, hey, this is a number one overall pick. 
This is a guy who's on what most call the, the most ascending franchise right now in the NFL. So you're paying a lot of his value that you paid to get him was situation-based. It wasn't based on, hey, this guy's going to finish as a top three quarterback. You're basically hoping, hey, he's going to be a top 10 quarterback or so. Uh, but I know I have a really stable asset that's only going to go up in value. So I think uh, I, would, I would buy, uh, but I think it's going to be hard to buy. I think you'd have to be really strategic with what you would offer. I mean, you probably are going to have to give up uh, another quarterback that's kind of in that same tier. You know, you may have to come, with, come to somebody with a, a really strong offer of a guy that, you know, maybe doesn't have the same name cachet as him, but it's not the kind of move that I want to make for quarterbacks. Kind of what I was selling, saying before, you know, if I have a Patrick Mahomes or, you know, if I have Deshaun Watson, and if I can get like, you know, Dak Prescott and, you know, a first and a second rounder on top of it in a super flex league, you know, I'm thinking about a deal like that because as long as I'm safe with the guy that I'm getting back uh, at quarterback, I'm, it's kind of the old scenario about uh, streaming quarterbacks in single quarterback leagues. You know, it really doesn't matter it's almost all entirely based on matchups. So if I can kind of incorporate that, even in my super flex leagues, I'm always willing to color down when I think a quarterback gets too valuable. So Mayfield doesn't fit that. So obviously he's a hold. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Absolutely. 100% on that one. And, and then the other guy I want to ask you about on the other end of the spectrum, an older player, and that's Aaron Rodgers. There was an interesting piece in the athletic. I don't know if you saw it, Scott, if you're a subscriber to the athletic and I, I don't recall who wrote the article, but basically they, they had this analytics-based um, approach to basically saying that Aaron Rodgers is not the same as he used to be, that he's not this elite quarterback. He's still a very good NFL quarterback, but he's, he's lost something, whether he's, he's aged or he's lost weapons or, or whatnot, and he's not going to reach that again. So how do you feel about Aaron Rodgers? Because, you know, obviously he, he, you know, his value isn't super high. He's quarterback 15, the list I'm looking at. So it's not like you're – you're selling high, maybe you're selling a little bit low, but maybe not. Maybe, you know, this is how Aaron Rodgers is going to be. He's going to be this kind of, you know, QB two, which is hard for us to say because Aaron Rodgers is is a Hall of Famer, you know, Hall of Fame quarterback. He's a great quarterback. But do you think that's the future for Aaron Rodgers? Do you think he's going to be this kind of quarterback two and you might as well sell him now while he still has some of that, that name value? Because some people still may see him in your league as this, oh, he's going to rebound and have this huge year. Uh, do you do you still believe in Aaron Rodgers? Is what I'm asking. I guess I do, but I also think that it, he's definitely a sell, and a couple reasons. Obviously, he's 35, so just knowing how dynasty owners think, even if he keeps up his performance from even where it's at right now, it's not where it was a couple of years ago. But even if he keeps up like what he put up last year, you know, you're you're going to see his value just decline naturally because of that. And at best, it's probably going to settle. Uh, if you look at the ADP data for guys like Philip Rivers or Drew Brees or Tom Brady, you know, over like the last five years, it gets to a point where it goes low enough because of their age, uh, but it stays around a certain point because there's always going to be that owner that's willing to pay just a little bit more or reach a little bit higher in a startup draft because, hey, I know that I can lock in at least one year of production. So the, the value is never going to completely bottom out. So I think you can kind of see that coming with Rodgers and then also if you just look at this year if you're a contender and you're relying on him uh, I believe he plays the Bears and the Vikings in the fantasy playoffs I think that's uh, right yeah it's bad schedule. and and so you know if I'm owning him and I'm on a contender I'm looking at basically killing two birds with one stone you know if I can trade him and get say Sam Darnold plus or something like that you know Sam Darnold has an incredible second half of the season schedule and if the Jets can just stay afloat and actually trend a little bit more positive in terms of just their win-loss record. If they can just 
think that they're still in it in some capacity. You know, I can see him performing equivalent or better than Aaron Rodgers rest of season. And I definitely can see their values flip-flopping uh, next season at this time. So I can basically kill two birds with one stone with that type of deal. So I'd be looking to trade him, you know, if I can get back uh, another quarterback that I can use, a quarterback that I know can perform about the same or better rest of the season. Josh Allen would be another one that you could look into potentially acquiring. I know that's a polarizing player. Not everyone wants to probably swap out Aaron Rodgers for Josh Allen. Um, but I think it's worth kicking the tires on. It's worth going to one of the owners of those players and seeing, hey, are you willing to give me anything on top of it? And I think the market still would warrant that you could ask for something on top of those two players if you're giving up Rodgers. So I'm selling him, not because I think he's a bad player or that you know I don't think he's any good, uh, but it's just it, it's time to sell a player like that, especially if you feel comfortable with the quarterback you're getting back. Yeah, this article on The Athletic, it's by Ben Baldwin. It's called No Longer Elite what the numbers tell us about Aaron Rodgers. So if you're a listener and a subscriber to The Athletic, and if you're not, I mean, they don't endorse the show or anything, but I'm, I'm a big <laughs> fan. I mean, there's, there's just great writers, great content. It's a, it's a great resource. Uh, check out that article. All right, Scott, let's move on finally to the tight ends and wrap it up with the tight ends because it, it's been an interesting year for tight end. If, if I look at the rankings, I, I, I sorted these rankings. I guess this is total points. So the number one guy at the top of the list, Austin Hooper. I, what, I didn't see that one coming. And then you had Mark Andrews, who got a lot of buzz coming into the year, but I don't think anyone had him as like the, the number two tight end in, in, in fantasy after six weeks necessarily. And then we've got Kelsey, who's maybe disappointed some owners, uh, hasn't seen the touchdowns yet. Uh, you know, Evan Engram, I mean, he's missed time. He's right there. Will Disley, oh, rest in peace, Will Disley. Uh, Darren Waller is other name that's going to surprise. So, you know, what, what do you make of the, the tight end uh, market? And the other guy I want to ask you about is a guy that you said was a buy, and that was Eric Ebron on your tight end show. Do you still feel that way about Eric Ebron? Oh, Eric Ebron. That's probably, <laughs> I would say, up there with the top three most hated players in Dynasty. And that's kind of why I've, I've, I've been on the buy Eric Ebron train, just because almost every league you find, the person that owns him probably does not like him for some reason. So <laughs> Yeah, um, you're right. You're right. I think with, uh, I think a couple things I, and, and I'm not, I have not dove into, um, a lot of the numbers on tight ends, especially the early breakout tight ends. But I think that's one thing that I look for is tight ends that got on the field early on in their careers and tight ends that performed, even if it's just, you know, they had a couple catches and they made a couple plays, you know, that's what I'm looking for. If I'm picking up, uh, you know, rookie tight ends, or if I'm looking at rookie tight ends specifically. And so, you know, I can't ignore the fact that if you look at Eric Ebron's first five seasons, I mean, he's one of the most productive tight ends ever in the NFL in his first five years. I mean, you can put his first five years of numbers up against almost anybody. And that's not because he's an elite, I think he's an elite talent or an elite player, but you know, a lot of tight ends don't produce that early. You know, they don't get a starting role and are relied on the same as he was early on. And yeah, he had a lot of ups and downs and he, he disappointed a ton of fantasy owners because he was a top 10 pick and, you know, people hyped him up to a point where he could never, he could never hit those expectations for the most part. So I, I call him a buy simply because, you know, I don't even think people value him in terms of top 15 dynasty tight ends. I mean, maybe, but you know, I think you can take a player that just has a couple weeks of a buzz and you can swap him out and get someone like Eric Ebron. And so that, that's kind of why I've said he's a buy, just because I think he's a massive, massively undervalued asset uh, at the position. Um, Mark and, Andrews. 
And I was just say, I was no, I was just say I I agree with that with Eric Ebron. Um, you know, he is now um, 26 years old, and I think it was Peter Howard that did, did this look at tight ends, and basically Peter Howard said, okay, tight ends don't really start producing until they get to that age 26, 27 range. And so he's there. We know he's talented. Yeah, he, I mean, he was drafted in the, in the, you know, early in the first round. So he's got the draft pedigree. I'm, I'm with you. I think he's a guy that, I mean, for the price, why not? You, you, you don't have to give up anything for Eric Ebron. I'm not sure what he's even going for, but – you know, as a throw into a deal you're doing, I, I, I like that call a lot because it's just, I mean, there's no, really no downside to it. So, no, and he's, you know, he's, we'll see if he, you know, kind of where he ends up going forward. Um, I, I, I was definitely on the buy Eric Ebon train when, you know, he still had Andrew Luck. And even when Jack Doyle was coming back, you know, I think it was fairly predictable to say that he was going to regress after 2018. But just from a situation standpoint, you know, I thought he was always undervalued, even for that situation. He got he got dinged entirely by basically saying last year was a fluke, and his value trended down ever since last year ended. It trended down and down and down and down, and that was mostly because well, he can't repeat last season, but that right. doesn't mean he has no value. So I was buying into the situation as much as I was buying into the player himself. Um, I think the the only thing that could that could hurt Eric Ebron is he he does seem to have a tendency to be not the most reliable player. So it, you, you have to hope he's in a situation where the coaches still trust him. You know, they still see him as a go-to guy. When I watch the Colts games, they still target Eric Ebron. I mean, he's still a primary focus, especially around the red zone. You know, it's not like they're phasing him out or, you know, he's playing less snaps than he was last year. Um, you know, they still see him as an integral part of the offense. So if that's the case, wherever he ends up, you know, I can see him having a similar career to, uh, you know, maybe a little bit better career than like Jared Cook, where it's going to be, you're going to have multiple times in his dynasty career where you see his situation for the year. You know, he may bounce around four or five more teams in his career. And you might say, well, I don't really like this situation this year, so I'm not going to buy into him. Um, but I think he's a player that you can just get at a tremendous value. So if I can put him on my team as my third tight end and just kind of wait it out and see what happens, I mean, that's that's the kind of buy I'm talking about, you know. But I think uh, you can't ignore what he's done in the first five years. I mean, the guy produced like very few others. And then Mark Andrews, who is kind of like a rocket ship. I mean, I mean, clearly he's a guy that you're going to have to buy, you know, perhaps on the way up. And that's the argument that you've made, Scott, on, on that tight end podcast, that he is still a guy that, you know, even though he's expensive, he, he's on the way up. Yeah. I mean, if you just look at the, if you, if you break apart the, um, the numbers on Mark Andrews in terms of it's, you know, you can look at every week and see, well, how many snaps is a player playing? And, you know, that's what I hear a lot when I hear people talking about Mark Andrews. You know, I don't trust him because he only plays, you know, 57% of the snaps or, you know, they're running out their three tight ends, which is true. But, you know, I'm looking at what, what is his role when he's on the field? And I, I, I want to just shout this out because I know a lot of people that have listened to me uh, all summer, I talked up Ricky Seals-Jones. And, you know, the reason was, essentially, if you looked at his numbers from last year, I believe he had like uh, 89 targets last season. I believe it was for Arizona. And that really flew under the radar. And, you know, you looked at what was, you know, he only played about 57% of the snaps or so last season. And the thing was, when he was out there, he's out there running routes. He's not out there to block. So his route percentage and his target percentage based on how much he was playing was higher than almost anybody else. So when I see that, that's the same with Mark Andrews. You know, when he goes out there, you know, per, per snap that he's playing, I mean, he's blowing 
everybody away in terms of the targets that he's getting per snap. So I don't care how often he's playing. I don't care what other tight ends are there with him. Uh, they see him as a primary weapon. So that was the pro- that was the reason I was touting Mark Andrews as such a big buy because um, the, what got me to it was if you look at the snaps played by a lot of the elite tight ends early in their career, only Travis Kelsey really blows everybody away. Everybody else has capped out at about 70%. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was Zach Ertz that was right under 70% was the second highest. Like him and Evan Ingram are right there around that 70% mark. But that's the highest they ever got to. You know, they never got to a point where they're playing more than that. And so then I'm looking at, well, where's the ball going when they're on the field? And that's all I care about. Are they running routes and are they getting targets? And his, you know, his ratios were up there with the elite players. And you saw the two spike weeks that he had to start this season. So when I see those two things, I, I'm, I was thinking, I, I got to buy right now. I've got to buy right now because, you know, this player is one that people are going to fall in love with. So I compared him to being the next George Kittle or at least being the, the next Zach Ertz. And I think that's, that's possible after this season. I can see him slotting in there as a top five tight end after this year, especially if, you know, someone like Ertz starts to fall off a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And it was a good call. And, and unless you're in a league where you get points for, for, uh, for blocking for your tight ends, you, you don't really, it doesn't, yeah, if they're, if, if the tight ends on the field, you know, 95% of the time and they, they're, they're not running any, any routes or getting any targets, you're right. It's pretty worthless. Yeah. That just to throw it out there. Um, if you look at the target numbers for this year, Zach Hertz is first with 54, Austin Hooper second with 50, Travis Kelsey 49, Ingram 48, and then Mark Andrews 47. So that that's a that's a great number. And yeah, Mark Andrews is, is definitely a guy that's that's exciting. I mean, because he's uh, what is, I'm not sure, even sure how old Mark Andrews is, but you know, he's 24. He's only going to get better. He's a favorite of Lamar Jackson. No, no, it was a great call and. Um, yeah, and he was a guy that um, I wish I was more aggressive, but I, I did acquire him in some, like an auction startup and a couple of leagues and, you know, for cheap. And now it, it just, you know, it feels so good when you can get guys so cheap and then they emerge as, a, you know, one of the top tight ends. It seems, I know it's early, it, it could change, but it, it's, we, ha- we should be optimistic about Mark Andrews. So, um, Scott, this has been awesome. We should probably end it here. We've been talking for a while. Really appreciate you coming on with me. Uh, so I didn't have to do a solo pod. I'm sure none of my listeners would have enjoyed that. I'm not nearly as, as smart and, and, and uh, uh, thoughtful about Dynasty as you are. But you want to tell the listeners where they can find you on Twitter, talk about the Dynasty Command Center, talk about your podcast, that type of thing? Yeah, all right. thanks for having me on. It was a blast coming on and talking. I mean, obviously, this stuff is ever so changing. Uh, you know, every single week, it seems like, you know, there's five or six different things that we can say have changed from last week. Uh, so I think that this is the best time to be having these kind of discussions. So thanks for having me on and you know being able to share this stuff with you. Uh, everybody can find me at Dynasty Command Center. Uh, basically, go to DynastyCommandCenter.com and sign up. It's a premium Slack, uh, but we have some incredible minds over there. And if you liked what you heard on this podcast, I mean, basically, that's the discussions that we're having constantly all day. You know, we're trying to get ahead and trying to project you know, where are things going to go in the next six months or even, you know, the next six weeks? Because I think that's where there's not a lack of information right now out there in fantasy or in dynasty. Everything's out there. You know, you just put a player's name in Twitter or, you know, do a Google search with the name dynasty. I mean, you're going to find all this stuff where somebody has probably said it on a forum or in an article or on a podcast or something like that. So, you know, we try to really think ahead and 
you know, you see a player that breaks out like Mark Andrews. We, we mentioned Mark Andrews. I don't necessarily want to go pay, pay what I have to pay to get Mark Andrews right now. But what, you know, what made him up? You know, what, where did he get from or how did he get to where he is? And who's the next Mark Andrews? You know, that, that's kind of the, uh, the way that I think you can really get an advantage because most of your league mates aren't necessarily doing that. They're waiting for things to happen and they're reacting. Uh, but if you can kind of be bold on your predictions and be convicted with some of your takes, you, know, you can really, really have some massive wins in terms of Dynasty League. So that, that's kind of what goes on at Dynasty Command Center. Uh, you can find me at Charles Chill FFB on Twitter, uh, basically just doing a lot of trade polls and retweeting a bunch of stuff on there. Um, you know, the t- typical Twitter days in terms of dynasty fantasy football, but, um, and then dynasty and chill, uh, it's a solo podcast that I do every once in a while. I'll have guests on there, uh, just to kind of have a conversation back and forth like this, but it's usually once a week and it's really just, what am I thinking? I try to take a topic or two and just expand on it and really try to make it applicable to your league. So, you know, if you're in a league and it's a, a type of format that might fit what I'm talking about, you can take away things where you can directly go back to your league and, you know, start proposing trades or start looking at it from that perspective. Yeah, Scott, it, it is a great listen. And like, it really is. You're one of my top listens each week. I make sure I listen to you because it, it, you give actionable advice that you, you do a lot of research. You give great information you don't hear any place else. And, and after I listen to the show, I'm like, okay, I need to go out and do this. So it, that's, it's a great podcast. Love it. Love it. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Fancy Joe listeners, thanks for listening. Um, we are at FF Joe's on Twitter. We're also on Patreon. You can find us there, patreon.com slash fancy Joe's. On behalf of Will Greenwood, I am Ryan Livergood, and we are the Fantasy Joe's. Fancy Joe's. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs>